0: We're going to be reading from the book of Mark. As most of you know, we're in the book of Mark and the study. Uh, I had no idea when I began this particular study in the book of Mark, it was going to turn out like it has turned out. But I have really been blessed by God speaking to our hearts. And today what I'd like to do is uh, look at the eighth chapter of the book of Mark and read from verse 22 to verse 26. And by the way, if you don't have a copy of the outline, please raise your hand, and Brother Steve will make sure you get one. And i like to say, if you'll if you listen to me for just a moment, that the introduction on this piece of paper, it is, it is so revealing and so informative, and I'll get into it in just a moment. What I would encourage you to do, and, and this would help, I would take and cut it out. Cut out that first paragraph. Even laminate it. And the reason I say that is because there are instructions in these few sentences that tells us how to study not only miracles and the story of the miracles, but the Bible. And uh, again, I would cut that out. Uh, Things that I really like, I laminate them and you could uh, laminate it and put it in the uh, put it in as a bookmark in your Bible. But let's read, if you will. Then he came to Bethsaida, and they brought a blind man to him and begged him to touch him. So he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the town. And when he had spit on his eyes and put his hands on him he asked him if he saw anything and he looked up and said i see men like trees walking and then he put his hands on his eyes again and made him look up and he was restored and saw everyone clearly then he sent him away to his house saying neither go into the town nor tell anyone in the town. Let's look at the introduction, if you will. The miracles of Jesus' are stories are arranged to tell a bigger story about the life of Jesus. In other words, there is a message behind the miracle. There is nothing in the Bible, whether it's the Old Testament or the New Testament, but especially the New Testament, that there is not a spiritual message or a message or messages that God wants to reveal to us. Keep that in mind as you study the miracles of not only Mark, but the miracles of the entire Bible. And as we have said, there are 18 miracles that is of, of the miracles of Jesus in the book of uh, Mark. The steps of understanding this message is, notice number one is observation. Study the events of the miracle, the context, and the culture. We need to know what the Scripture says before the text itself and following the text itself and who is it written to Understand the culture. Now, you may not be able to do that every time you read the Scripture. I'm not saying that. But I would encourage you to study. Apply yourself to studying the Word of God. You want to know if it's written to the Jews, if it's written to the Gentiles. Much about that Scripture is very important. Number one is observation. Number two is interpretation. Understand what truth or truths lie in the body of Scripture that you're studying. What are those truths teaching us today? And then number three is the application. Determine how the truths apply to us. In other words, understand the theology of that Scripture. And when we look at, listen at me. When we look at these miracles, we want to understand the truths, the body of that. And then, of course, there is no need of the first two unless we practice the last one, and that is we need to apply it to our lives. We need not study the miracles of Jesus in the book of Mark unless we understand that they're miracles for us today. Every day of our life, I believe that you and I can experience God's miracles. I want to thank you for praying for my son. Last Thursday, he experienced, now he has and is experiencing a miracle. But last Thursday, he experienced a great miracle. And it is wonderful to know that God works miracles in our lives. I believe already this morning there have been, there is a miracle that has taken place or miracles that have taken place in this service. And I believe there are miracles going to take place as we go through this service, especially around the altar in ministry time. So we, we, we need to apply these truths to our lives. It's, it's very important important. I talked just a few days ago about Jairus, and most of us remember Jairus that came to Jesus and wanted Jesus to touch, to come and touch his daughter, and Jesus said, I would, and on the way, there was a woman that had had an issue of blood. She was hemorrhaging. She touched the hem of the garment of Jesus, and she was made whole, and time was spent there, and when it was when that was over with, someone came and told Jairus, "There's no need to Jairus, I'm sorry, no need to, to bother uh, Jesus because your daughter is dead." Jesus overheard it, and he didn't listen to that. He said, "Do he said, Do not fear, only believe.'" And out of that story, out of that great miracle, that's what God is telling you and I today. When the doctor comes to you and gives you bad news, Jesus is saying, the word of God is saying, the spirit of the Lord is speaking to us and said, do not fear, only believe. But this is what the doctor says. Do not fear, only believe. But this is the way I feel. But do not fear, only believe. That's God's word. You say, but that was to Jairus. That same truth is just as real and powerful today. I love it. And that's what God is teaching us. For five weeks, my wife and I had to go and see our son bent over double, hollering practically with severe, excruciating pain. And we had to walk with faith. And when your child, your grandchild, someone in your family, a loved one that's gone astray, and the devil will tell you they're going to die and go to hell, do not fear. Only believe. I could just stop right there and go home, but... I'm going to go on. And I won't finish this sermon today. Let me tell you that. I will not finish this sermon today. But look at number one, Roman numeral number one. A blind man is brought to Jesus. And this is the only recording of this miracle. Mark is the only gospel that records this miracle. This miracle is an amazing happening. And one of the reasons is, is that it is the only miracle in the entire gospel that happened in stages. Jesus spit on the man's eyes. He laid his hands on him. And the man only saw men as trees. Well, one thing about it, I think that he had been, he had, been able to see at one time because he recognized men. We don't know what happened that caused him to go completely blind. So they brought this man to Jesus. I, I have listed here four, four ways that we are introduced to Jesus. Notice, men arrive to Christ by many different processes. Number one, one is found by Christ himself. Number two, or B, another comes to him. Number three, another is born by four. And we talked about that recently. Number five, this blind man is led to Jesus. So either Jesus finds you, or you find him, or someone else will bring him, several will bring you to Christ, or you'll be led to Christ by Others. It, 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 it's it's important, but you know what? What's so what's so important about this? Listen, is that fa- is the fact it matters not if Jesus found you, or if you found Jesus. You could you could find Jesus in a tent revival. You can find Jesus at an altar of the church. You can find Jesus in your bedroom, in your kitchen at home. You can find Jesus riding down the highway, or you can find Jesus in the backseat of an old. 36 Chevrolet. Doesn't matter where you find him. Doesn't matter how you got there. Get there. Doesn't matter who brought you. And that is important. But we need certainly to find Jesus. Notice what Jesus did. He took this man to a solitary place. He took him by the hand. And he led him outside of the town. Why? Why did Jesus lead the blind man away from the town? Look, look at some things I have. I, I think it's a, we speculate, but I think this is pretty much some of the things that I believe are the reasons why that Jesus took this blind man outside of of town. The Lord takes him by the hand and isolates him from disturbing influences. We let too many things influence us and disturb us. And it matters not if it's the heat or if it's the cold or if the service lasts too long or the preacher is dull or the singing is not what we want or the songs we would sing, or the telephone rings. Jesus took him away from the distractions. It's important. Number two, he took him away from everything that would hinder. There were the Pharisees that always gawked. There were the people that all they wanted was miracles. And so Jesus says, I'm getting you out of here. And he took him away. Our best from the Lord requires the consecration of the heart. In other words, we're not going to receive anything this morning as long as we're counting the blocks on the side of the wall. As long as we're thinking about that drumstick we're going to eat when we get out of here as long as we're thinking about what we did yesterday or what we've got to do tomorrow. I believe that the devil will try everything he possibly can to distract us from receiving from the Lord. And we must do things to be able to concentrate on what God would have us to do. May, I love this number four. May our affections be led out of town and centered in Jesus Christ. Whatever it takes. That's the reason sometimes we close our eyes as we worship the Lord because you've got all things, all kinds of things that will distract us. That's the reason we like to come and be reverent in the house of the Lord. Leave all of that baggage outside. So he took him outside of the town or the city. Now I'm going to get ahead of myself here. And I'm going to tell you one reason that I believe that Jesus took this blind man outside of the town. I think these come into play. I really do. But I believe one reason is because that Bethsaida had been cursed. Look at Matthew chapter 11, verses 20 through 24. These are woes that are pronounced on impenitent cities. Then he began to rebuke the cities in which most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. And he said to them, woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in in sackcloth and ashes. But I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum. Capernaum was his hometown, or where his office was. It was the town that he worked out of. And you, Capernaum, he goes on to say, who were exalted to heaven will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day but I say to you that it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. That is is amazing to me. Those words of Jesus Christ to these three cities are amazing to me. He compares Bethsaida and these cities or he compares Bethsaida and Chorazin to Tyre and Sidon, which were Gentile cities. He compares them and he said, listen, and if you look at the map, I don't have this map, but I have a map that shows where these cities are. You can't see them probably from here. But this is this is Israel. And this is the Sea of Galilee at the top. And up around the northern, eastern, western part, next to Galilee is Bethsaida, Chorazin, Capernaum, and uh, Chorazin. And that's where Jesus' ministry was. That's where he preached. That's where he performed miracles. For three and a half years, these towns had experienced a great move of God. And then, of course, Capernaum, where he operated out of, and he ministered out of, his hometown. And he says this to them. Can you imagine Jesus saying It's going to be more tolerable for Sodom, a town that fire and brimstone fell on than it is going to be for Capernaum? Other words, homosexuality, immorality, evil, so evil until God allowed fire and brimstone to remove Sodom and Gomorrah from off the face of the earth. And yet he looks at Capernaum where he dwelt and said it's going to be more tolerable for Sodom than it is for Capernaum. There is something to be said about being exposed to the light of the gospel and rejecting it. And we take it lightly. America is indifferent to the word of God. America has rejected the word of God. There are over 300 people thousand Protestant and Christian churches in America there are over 700 churches in Durham North Carolina on every street corner and we reject it you say what happened what happened to Bethsaida What happened to Chorazin? What happened to Capernaum? I'll show you what happened. I want you to notice. Bethsaida is judged and gone. The next one. Capernaum is judged and gone. Chorazin, that's where they were, is judged and gone there's one town up in that same area where Jesus was but Jesus never pronounced judgment on that particular town it was Tiberius look here Tiberius never one time was judged Tiberius is not gone God judged these three towns you know, as I studied, and I believe this is one reason that God said, or God took the blind man out of the city of Bethsaida. And he told him, don't go back to that town. In other words, they've had the light, they've rejected the light, judgment has come upon them, and they will be no more. Now, I believe that God, as he did in Bethsaida, he blessed the blind man. I believe that God will bless individually when a nation or a city or town rejects God and they are judged. Doesn't matter. I believe an individual, an individual, I believe a church can have revival no matter what goes on around them if they meet the condition for revival. And that's what he did. He healed this blind man, but he judged, he had judged Bethsaida and said, You stay out. Now, I know he told him to go to his home. But he said, don't go back to that town. It's been judged. I begin to think about America. As you study end-time prophecy, did you know that America is not mentioned in end-time prophecy? There is nowhere. In Daniel, Revelation, Ezekiel, America is not mentioned in end time prophecy. Is America judged? Is it gone? Greg Lauren, he's a pastor in California. He gives three reasons why America America is not mentioned in end-time prophecy. Number one, it has experienced, and God forbid, an atomic bomb attack. Maybe not Russia, maybe not China, but some rogue nation. What are we dealing with right now? Unless you have your head in a hole, you know what we're dealing with right now. Iran is looking to develop a nuclear bomb. He said, oh, but we've negotiated. They're not going to do it. Not, Don't you dare believe that. Now, I hope this does not happen. I trust it does not happen. But is America not mentioned because she has rejected God because she has had a great opportunity to serve God, but she no longer serves God. America is no longer a Christian America. I hate to say that. That's one thing that could happen. Or perhaps this has happened. America, because it has sunk so low morally, it has lost out, spiritually, economically, socially, in every way until America, and I believe this could happen, becomes a third, fourth, or twelfth world nation. And she's no more. Now us folks, Americans, we don't like to hear that because we are the number one and have been the number one nation for many, many years either an atomic bomb attack, and she's wiped off the face of the earth, much of it. She stooped so low, it wouldn't take much for the, for the stock market to do worse than it's done this week. In four years, it's the Lord's it's been in four years. I'm not, listen, listen, please, If you if you know me, I'm not a pessimist, a hope preacher, doomsday preacher. But if God rejected and judged Bethsaida because they had the gospel exposed to them, Chorazin because they had the gospel and the miracles exposed to them, Capernaum, which Jesus Christ, the son of God, lived there and they rejected him as a whole. If he judged them and they were and then no more America was and is no more because of that. But the third reason he gives, of course, I was talking with Carol Ash the other day and she gave me another one, which I I really like. Perhaps the states have succeeded from America. Did you know right now, listen to this, did you know, and I believe Texas would probably be the first one to do it. Did you know right now that Texas is with is withdrawing billions in gold from the bank in New York and putting it in the banks in Texas? That'll make you think. I don't know, I don't know. But the third reason he gives is this: that revival. that. America experiences a revival. Hallelujah. And millions of people are saved and ready for the rapture. And the rapture takes place. I'm not talking about the whole nation going to heaven in the rapture, but I am talking about a fourth of them. And because they're the people that makes a difference. And so when this takes place, America, the folks are gone. And she is no more as far as being. Can you imagine if a quarter, if if, if 78 million people, 78 million people got saved and were, were saved and the rapture took place and instantly we all went home. Airplanes falling out of the sky. People supposed to show up for work, and they didn't. Babies gone out of the cribs. Oh, hallelujah. Moms and dads and sons and daughters that go to church and serve God, they're gone. And the, and the CEOs, hallelujah, and those that run the banks and those that operate the, the whole country, they're gone. And we're wondering what's happened. They're gone. Hallelujah. Clap your hands on that. I like that one better than any of them. But I believe America's judged, and she'll be no more because she's not mentioned. You take many, whether it's Russia, whether it's China, whether it's Iraq, whether it's Iran, many of the nations are mentioned in end-time prophecy in Daniel especially in Revelation, but America is not mentioned. She is not important anymore. I'm ready for the rapture to take place, aren't you? Don't you think that America has been exposed to the gospel like no other nation has been exposed to the gospel? You thought 9 11 would turn this nation around. It didn't. Oh, there was a little glitch. But it didn't change people. People are so indifferent. They care nothing about the church, they care nothing about God. They're watching Hollywood produce all the junk that they're producing. They're listening to whatever they want to listen to, they're going to and fro. Going to and fro and spitting in the face of God. When the Supreme Court made the ruling on same sex marriage, that was a definite rebellion against God. And when the White House was lit up with the homosexual colors, that was spitting in the face of God. Now you can get mad at me all you want to and walk out on me and hold back your tithes all you want to, but I'm here to tell you. And by the way, by the way, what is the rainbow? What is the rainbow? It's a promise of God. And the world, and we need to be careful about the symbols that we use and copy the world, huh? Again, it's important. The world tries to take what it can from the church, take what it can from the Bible, and the church falls in line with it. And now some of the places are replacing the American red, white, and blue with rainbow colors. And you don't think America is gonna experience judgment? And the church falls right in line. So many people, and please, they use those peace symbols on their clothes and on their whatever. They use the peace symbol, that round peace symbol You know what it looks like? It looks like a chicken foot or whatever. You know what that symbol is in that? Oh, somebody tell me. It's the broken cross. And Christians after Christians after Christians. We parents, please don't get mad at me. We go out and support that kind of thing and think we're doing nothing that is nothing but satanic. That peace symbol is not a peace symbol at all. Right next to our house, less than a mile, there's a tree there. I bet you they have a hundred bottles on that tree. And they're growing all, all over Durham. You can find them trees with bottles on them. If you haven't seen them, they're out there. And those bottles are to catch evil spirits. One woman said she put them up. The only thing she caught was a lizard, you know. And we'll go out. I hope, and if you've got bottles on your tree, and when the wind blows, that sound that those bottles makes, that's a demon or the devil trying to get out of those bottles. And then you'll see stacks of stone all over. They're all over there. Right behind my house, less than 100 yards, there are stacks of stones. Now, people started out using them as landmarks and monuments. But now they've turned into spiritual guidance, trying to get in touch with Zen, Z-E-N. You see, you'd see them by the hundreds. Now they're by the thousands all over the United States, these stacks of stone. And, 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 and it's nothing but a, but a satanic, I don't know, satanic. It's a spiritual thing, new age thing, that the new age is slipping in and the church is falling right in line. I know I've quit preaching a long time ago and gone to meddling, but I'll tell you what. The church needs... To stand up and stand up for the right, and stand up for faith in God, and and for holiness and purity, not immorality. It's time for the church to reject what. Listen, the Bible says, and I know we preached this years ago, but you don't hear it anymore. We're not, we're not to be part of the world. The Bible says, come you out from amongst them, said the Lord, and I will receive you. But now we want to look like the world, act like the world, sing like the world, have fun like the world. God help us. Put that sign, put, uh, Tammy, put that back up, America. America here. Does it bother us? Does it bother me? Am I concerned is Jesus saying don't go back to that country? There's not a Tuesday morning at 9:30 that we meet on 9th Street that there's not somebody from another country that has come to this country as a missionary. I don't want to leave us like this, but I'm here to tell you, America is being judged. Someone said something's going to happen in September. I don't know. What are we going to do, preacher? I'm not afraid. I've got my hand in the hand of the man that steals the water. I have my hand in the hand of the man that calms the sea. And you don't have to be afraid. Should I, should I stack up and, 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 and get plenty of food and cans? I, you know, that's your choice. You do what you want to. But I'm here to tell you, if God judged Bethsaida, if God judged Chorazin, if God judged Capernaum, and they were here and they're gone, God is judging America. It's here today but she's on the brink. As far as world influence, she's on the brink of being gone. But I sort of believe that God's going to send revival. I believe the people of God, Abraham said, Lord, if I can find 50 righteous people, will you spare it? God said, I'll spare it. Couldn't find 50 righteous people. Abraham said, now, Lord, if we could find 25 righteous people, would you spare it? Yes, I'll spare it. Couldn't find 25. Abraham said, Lord, don't get angry at me, but if we can find 10 righteous people, will you spare Sodom and Gomorrah? Couldn't find 10 righteous people. I believe he got down, if I'm not mistaken, to five. If you can find five, will you spare the city? Yes. Edom, even Sodom, I mean, even Lot, rather, had vexed his righteous soul by being in that city. And God said he's going to rain fire and brimstone down on it. Somehow I feel like there's more than five righteous people in America. Somehow I feel like there's more than 50 righteous people in America. Somehow I feel like there's more than a 100 or a 1,000 or 10,000. I feel like there's more than a million. I feel like there are millions of people that love God, that knows what it is to serve God and knows what it is to intercede. And that group of people is going to get on their knees and begin to intercede for America. And God is going to send a great move of his Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Sister Judy, come and play for me. I I, I want you to look at the bottom of this page, the message behind the miracles. I want you to notice the cure. Powerful truths in this. Don't throw this away. Don't cut it up yet and use it as as a bookmark. Wait till next week. Do I preach next week? We're going to use this again. God is going to do some things in your life today. God's going to send revival to your home, to this church, to this city. I believe that Durham, North there are preachers that are praying all over this city. And we've been praying for 17 years. Do you think one how many times is that? Every Tuesday, for seventeen years. Every Tuesday, for, do you? And we're not the only ones praying, and we know that they're praying all over this city, churches after churches after churches. God's going to hear those prayers, and God is going to send revival.